You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. Hi, and welcome to The Blackest Questions. I'm your host, Dr. Christina Greer, politics editor for The Griot and associate professor of political science at Fordham University. In this podcast, we ask our guests five of The Blackest Questions so we can learn a little bit more about them and have some fun while we're doing it. We're also going to learn a lot about Black history, past and present. So here's how this works. We have five rounds of questions about us. Black history, the entire diaspora, current events, you name it. And with each round, the questions get a little tougher and the guest has 10 seconds to get it right. If they answer the question correctly, they'll receive one symbolic black fist and they'll hear this. And if they get it wrong, they'll hear this. But we still love them anyway. And after the trivia portion is done, there'll be a black bonus round with our guest where we learn just a little bit more about him. So our guest for this episode is Harry Lennox a seasoned actor and producer from Chicago who's been a part of dozens of TV shows and films, including The Five Heartbeats, Ray, The Matrix, Dollhouse, and several DC Superman films. And for the past 10 years, he's played Harold Cooper on the hit TV show The Blacklist. Not protecting anything. We're writing what was wrong. Keep telling yourself that. Lennox is also a stage actor who fell in love with it while studying to become a priest. We'll hear a bit more about that in a minute, but chose to take a different path and major in acting at Northwestern University. Lennox now lives in Los Angeles, where he's also founded two production companies. I would like to welcome Harry Lennox to The Blackest Questions. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited. Well, I'm excited too. Thanks for having me, Christina. I'm looking forward to this. (laughs) Yes, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I feel like... You know, so many of our our listeners and our viewers grew up watching you um, from the Five Heartbeats. You know, I am a, a loyal fan of the Blacklist. I think most of us know your voice um, more than anything. And so, you know, uh, my producer and I were talking before you came on, and it's like, <laughs> the Harry Lennox voice is a very unique and distinct voice. When did you know you had, when you had something, when you had that that thing that this this acting thing is going to work out for me? Well, I, I think I had a fairly early indication because I had this um, ability to recall lines, you know, not just my own, but mm. if I was at some sort of a school production and somebody went up on a line, which was not uncommon, you know, you're doing those group shows and some person has to say, you know, uh, three men from the East and somebody else has to say, you know, uh, uh, two eggs and, and bacon, uh, somebody would inevitably forget but I would always know. <laughs> and, uh, so I thought at that point, huh, you know, I, I've got this aptitude. And then I think uh, in my first high school play, well, actually before that, in, in elementary school, I played the lead uh, character of Thomas Edison in a show called The Electric Sunshine Man. And somebody gave me the great compliment, Christina. They said, uh, they said uh, Christina, they said, uh, you reminded me of Clifton Davis on uh, 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 that's my mama. I think that's what it, what it was. That's a yeah. major compliment. And I used to teach. Uh, well, I teach at a Jesuit institution. You know, yes, I was a thespian do. for a hot second. <laughs> but when you were studying to become a priest, tell us about that because I know that you were once a public school teacher of music and physics. So you've you've had a whole bunch of lives as well. But tell us about yeah. studying to become a priest. I think, as a matter of fact, I think we met each other, Christina, at Fordham. I came by one day, did I not? And, and, and did a, um, something with August Wilson. It was some sort of a special uh, 
that's right. Session anyway, though, I think that was you. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, even though I'm not in the theater department, I just I love the theater people, so I always swing right. by. <laughs> okay, great, great. Well, um, I I you know early on I didn't have uh, a father to raise me. My father died before I was two, and so you know it's it's quite interesting thing. You know, I went to Catholic schools. My father was a devout uh, Catholic, and um, sent me to Catholic schools. So the first person that I called father was a guy with, you know, with a collar. <laughs> and so I guess I always associated uh, that with, you know, a kind of parental role. And, and and I thought that since I did not have a father, you know, I could be that to many people um, mm-hmm. in a way. And so, uh, so I was immediately interested in the in ecclesiastical life, if you will. And, and uh, but it didn't you know? I, I also knew that I was curious about the outside world, something mm-hmm. outside of, you know, the cloth, and something that that you know was more universal in in a, in a way. And I thought that that could be you know, acting or politics or teaching. Yeah. There are any number of, of professions, but I seemed, as I said, to have had uh, an early indication that I should pursue this path. It, it was pretty, while it was not easy, you know, it was pretty clear. And so I, I took the steps, and um, uh, and not, no, no point was were those steps uh, faulty, I don't right. think. And so here I am, you know. Well, and we're we're very thankful that you took this this path. I mean, considering uh, the roles that you've had. So, are you ready to play the blackest questions? I am ready to play the blackest <laughs> questions. I love that title. Like, yes, hit me. I'll okay. see what I can do. I'm playing the Blackest Questions with Harry Lennox. This is question number one. This Pulitzer Prize winning August Wilson play starring Samuel L. Jackson and David Washington took its final bow in New York City at the Barrymore Theater in January of 2023. Which play is it? Well, that that would be, I think, well, the piano lesson. But I think it's one of the few that have been filmed. You know, I think PBS did it not long ago. Mm -hmm. So the piano is a story-based in the 1930s about the Charles family that battled each other over their shared legacy and an antique piano. And as I mentioned, the piano lesson won a Pulitzer Prize for Best Drama and was the fourth play in the Wilson's Pittsburgh Cycle, which has 10 different plays that he wrote about African-American struggles throughout the 20th century. So your Broadway debut, if I'm not mistaken, was in August Wilson's Radio Golf. How did that happen? How did you land that role? Well, um... I think, you know, it's interesting. I worked with August uh, and and he was my idol, of course, as, as a playwright. Mm-hmm. Wonderful person. I had an opportunity to get to know him personally over many years. But uh, there was a play of two, uh, of King Hedley II and uh, Tony Todd started it out, but I got to do it in, in D.C. I'm sorry, I got to do it in uh, L.A. And August Wilson, I think, based on that performance, thought about me for the last play of his, of the 10 play cycle radio golf. And so I have it on good evidence that, uh, that he wrote that with me in mind. And, and I think that, uh, that's how, um, how I got it after his, after his death, uh, I was able to, um, you know, bring it to the McCarter mm-hmm. in New Jersey and then, uh, and then on the Broadway. So one of the great honors of my life. So you, you know, you've won several awards for your stage acting. You've even portrayed Malcolm X. It's among the many roles that you've played on stage. Now, is it is stage acting sort of like children? Are you allowed to have a favorite? And if so, what role <laughs> is your favorite? 
<laughs> you know, I actually used that very, very uh, metaphor today, Christina. I said the oh, same yeah? thing uh, yeah, about my favorite episode of The Blacklist. But, uh, but that said, uh, you know, I think my roles uh, are favorite. You know, they've changed over the years. But I would have to say that if I had to pick one, because I did it both on stage and screen, it would have to be Aaron the Moore and Julie Taymor's Titus Andronicus. And oh. that's probably my favorite. He's such a, a badass, you know, he's such a, a great character. They consider him Shakespeare's prototypical arch villain, uh, mm-hmm. written before Iago, for example. We know that Titus mm-hmm. is an earlier play, but, but that said, he's so eloquent and artful with his uh, disdain for the power system and structure. And he prefers his own black son over the entirety of Rome. And he says so in the most eloquent language that only Shakespeare could write. So I think <laughs> where you combine the kind of uh, liberation uh, politics and, and the kind of aesthetic evil of the character and the delicious fun that that presents. And you're getting a chance to do that with Anthony Hopkins and Jessica Lange. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I'd have to say that's my favorite experience. Oh, I love that you have a favorite. Well, we're about to take a quick commercial break. I'm with the eloquent and artful Harry Lennox, and we'll be right back. We're playing The Blackest Question. And we're back. I'm with Harry Lennox. We're playing The Blackest Questions. Harry, you are one for one. You ready to play question number two? Yes. Keep the streak going? That's it. Okay. It's only a streak after two. It's only a streak (laughs) after (laughs) two. So like you... This black actor launched his career on the stage in the Broadway production of A Raisin in the Sun and eventually broke into film, becoming the first black man to win an Oscar in the Best Actor category. Who was he? Well, that's none other than the great Sidney Poitier. You know, what a, what a wonderful idol to all of us, like a, a mentor, uh, Potter Familius. You know, he's really, uh, in so many ways... The first, but of course, we know he also comes in a long legacy, and he knew that as well. So anyway, the great city, Poitiers. You are correct. (laughs) Poitiers lived in the Bahamas until he was 15 when he moved to Miami and then New York, where he joined the American Negro Theater. His first movie role was in the 1950 drama No Way Out, where he played the role of a lone black doctor working in an all-white hospital. His acting career spanned more than 50 years, and for 10 years, he was the Bahamian ambassador to Japan. And when he died last year, Tyler Perry said that there was no man in the business that was more of a North Star for him than Sidney Poitier, and clearly for so many other actors. And so when you think back on the legacy of his career and the impact it's had on your career, what do you see as some of the through lines between you know, his eloquence and, I would argue, the eloquence that you bring to stage and film and television? Well, thank you for the comparison. It's always great to be uh, in, in any way. That's good company. <laughs> That's great. It was pretty good company there. Um, I think that, you know, the thing I have always taken away from him is his uh, his grace of movement. You know, like if you look at Sidney Poitier walk, there's a kind of swing that he has to it. It's, it's, uh, it's both sort of... Uh, um, demonstrative but but so subtle you know it's got this this beautiful dance thing to it and he's got the same thing with his voice i will carry with me to my grave the wonders i have experienced so the kind of lilting quality is something that i think in oratory rhetoric uh 
ballet, uh, you know, these are the kinds of things, uh, the grace, uh, what has been called poetry in motion. And I mm -hmm. think that he is that. And so I, I stole that really from him, of course, the way that he uh, walked the walk uh, outside of the off screen as well and off stage. Um, you know, great elegance, great uh, poise, mm -hmm. uh, great temperance. You know, I think that, that these are the things that we could all learn from as a kind of statesmanship. You know, yeah. you could see him. He could have he could have been president. He really could have if, if he absolutely uh, by to it. Yeah. Well, and you know, during lockdown, I, I watched a lot of you know movies that I, I should have seen and I hadn't seen, and so I went down a Sidney Poitier you know rabbit hole, and and even the <laughs> the movies that he did with Bill Cosby, you know, uh, mm -hmm. Uptown Saturday Night, Let's Do It Again, and um, it also seems as though he was having fun uh, in some of his films, and, and there's just like an inner light and a joy uh, that we saw uh, from him, and so in his breaking of barriers. Fast forward, you know, 50, 60 years, where do you think Hollywood is in terms of, you know, racial and even gender inclusion uh, when it comes to getting these roles where, you know, we can see this type of eloquence and detail and fluidity of black masculinity on the screen? Well, I think there's a, a good deal of it, uh, frankly. I think that uh, now more than ever, you know, um, we could raise questions sometimes about the integrity or the um, merit of, of some of, of the great numbers of black people that we see in the media. I think, uh, and it's probably still the case, not just my opinion, you know, the blacks are actually overrepresented in the media. And I think that people are especially sensitive now to making sure that, that uh, you know, that it be told from certain perspectives. And I think those are good movements, uh, good things that happen. I think that we're seeing more women uh, represented. Uh, in the media, more women of color. And, and mm -hmm. so I think all of that is, uh, is a step in a positive direction, specifically toward men, since uh, uh, I think that was the specific question. I think that there is a lot of room <laughs> for improvement. I think uh, mm -hmm. we're still seeing us dwelling on the same tropes of, of servitude or depravity um, frequently, or you also have the sort of, um, <laughs> hyper how can we how could i put it uh, they're either complete superheroes they're unrealistic mm -hmm. and unrelatable or they are you know sort of digging in the dirt of of the past yeah. and and of the present but right. that said uh, the underbelly so i think that there's room uh, for improvement we've done a very good job in my opinion christina uh, of, yeah well i i appreciate you know, your contribution to Tilling that soil. We're playing the Blackest Questions. I'm with Harry Lennox. He's two for two. Uh, we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And we're back. We're playing the Blackest Questions. I'm with Harry Lennox. You're doing an amazing job. Are you ready for question number three? Yes, I am, I think. Okay. So far. Yeah. Great. Okay. This Trinidadian-born American jazz classical pianist and singer was an outspoken critic of racial discrimination and segregation. And she was also the wife of a New York Congressman. Who was she? That was the one, what could one use? Ebullient, effervescent, wonderful, uh, Hazel Scott. Who's That's a right. Tremendous jazz piano player. Hazel Scott was a child musical prodigy 
receiving scholarships to study at the Juilliard School when she was eight. In the 1950s, Scott became the first African-American woman to host her own television show, The Hazel Scott Show, which was a 15-minute music program where she performed show tunes. And in 1945, Scott married Baptist minister and U.S. Congressman Adam Clayton Powell. So you actually played Adam Clayton Powell, her husband, in Showtime's Keep the Faith Baby, which you won a Black Reel Award and you were nominated for both an NAACP Image Award and a Golden Satellite Award. And Vanessa Williams played Hazel. So how did you prepare for that role in particular? And how do you normally prepare for roles? Because you've played some very diverse and distinct characters throughout your career. Yes, I have. I've had the great uh, honor of playing uh, a number of them, of course, none uh, none were more favorite to me than than the great Adam Clayton Powell. He's such a colorful mm-hmm. uh, man, such a important person in the world, really the world. Wrote most of the major pieces of legislation that you know that formed the great society that uh, that uh, Lyndon Johnson was known for. But that said, um, I normally prepare by seeing if there's any kind of footage of the actor, mm. uh, I'm sorry, of the, of the subject. And in this case, there's an abundant uh, uh, number of films that you could, well, not films so much, but footage that you could look at with Adam Clayton Powell. You can go on YouTube. I don't even think that was around when I was doing uh, Keep the Faith Baby uh, for Showtime, but, you know, there, are, uh, there were other things like videotapes. PBS did a wonderful uh, uh, tribute to him. And, and in the American experience. And so I looked a lot at that. And then of course there are records, you could get albums of his. Uh, he had an album of Keep the Faith Baby. So, you know, normally you, you have uh, in 20th century figures, you get to look at tape and you get to listen. And that's of course great. And it's, it's, you know, if you don't have that, you're going back in time, then of course there's whatever literature or uh, articles or whatever. It's kind of like being a, an investigator in some yes. way. And that's our study. That's that's the most fun part to me, really, in, in terms of uh, preparing for a role. Now, and when you're preparing, do you sort of lay things out first? I mean, do you do you write things down? Do you keep mm. a journal? You know, in addition to you know, if you have uh, the ability to watch uh, that particular sort of world or that individual, but you know, where it, what is a more detailed process for you? Yes, I don't keep a journal. Um, what I, what I, when I know I'm ready to play a character, I'm able to draw it out, you know, literally mm. sort of sketch it out um, uh, in pretty fine detail of what they look like, how they walk, what they're wearing, these kinds of things. And I can, and I can uh, figure that out visually, sort of uh, somatically rather more than I can uh, intellectually, although that's a big part of it. Uh, mm-hmm. So, but I try to drive uh, study as much as it can be, you know, physically looking at uh, behavior, listening to the the person that I may be playing or people who are from that part of the world, even now, you know, where, where you're picking up things that are the music, the music of it. And, and again, as I, I go back to Poitier, the walk, uh, the swing of it, how it mm-hmm. moves. So it, it, it depends, but that's, that's normally my approaches to do whatever intellectual work there is to be done, observation, uh, research, and then, and then trying to figure out what that looks like and what that sounds like. Right. And I mean, I, I think for those of us who've been watching you in so many different films, 
and on stage and on television over the years, there's a meticulousness to your approach that is just um, so beautiful to watch. Um, oh, so this is this is now the Blackest Questions turned into the Harry Lennox fan club. And we'll be right back after this commercial break. The Griot Black Podcast Network is here and it's everything you've been waiting for. News, talk, entertainment, sports, and today's issues, all from the Black perspective. Ready for real talk and Black culture amplified? Be inspired. Listen to new and established voices now on the Grio Black Podcast Network. Listen today on the Grio mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard. Okay, we are back. We're playing the Blackest Questions with Harry Lennox. We're moving on to question number four. You are three for three, Mr. Lennox. Are you ready to continue your streak? This is officially a streak, according to it your is definition. Officially a streak. That's right. <laughs> okay, question number four. This fraternity was the first fraternal organization founded at a historically black college. Some of its notable members include Reverend Jesse Jackson, Michael Jordan, Steve Harvey, and Super Bowl quarterback Jalen Hurts. What fraternity is it? Well, I'm a proud member of the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, and it is we who were founded <laughs> at Howard University. And that's so, right. Yep, that, that's uh, exactly right. In 1911. I'm a proud daughter of someone who is in the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, life membership number 242. Um, but we know that the fraternity was founded in November of 1911 by three liberal arts students at Howard University. The frat has now, now has more than 750 chapters. And in 1924, one of its members, Carter G. Woodson, urged his fraternity to launch Negro History Week to publicize the accomplishments of African-Americans. And by 1976, that idea had evolved in what we now know as Black History Month. So you're a proud member of the Omega Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated. Um, you've also had a lead role in Stomp the Yard, which has a lot to do with Black Greek life. Where did you pledge and, and what was that experience for you? Well, this is an interesting story because I pledged uh, in, 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 well, I went over in 2012. I began the process in 2011, the 100th year, but that uh, being the case, that made me, I think, 47 years old. So I didn't pledge uh, under the normal circumstances of an undergrad. I was, I pledged a grad chapter in, in the North Shore of, of Chicago. It was really um, a unique and very special uh, process. And, uh, and, as, and I'm glad that after wanting to be a Q for so long, I was able to finally do it. Yeah, and you know, and I, I have, I did not pledge. My mother's an AKA, my father's a Q, but a lot of my upbringing was in uh, sort of Omega Sci-Fi. My dad's very active in the frat, and what I love is this idea of brotherhood, where I was always taught that no matter in the world where I was in the world, if I ever needed anything, my dad would always say, "Find a Q, right?" And if you can't find a Q, then just find a Greek, right? So it's like right. find a Kappa. My grandfather was a Sigma. You know, our brother-in-law's a Kappa, but he's like, you know, find a Greek. And then, you know, you kind of go down the list. It's like, then find a black person, you know, but he's always told me the first thing you do, it's like, if you ever need anything, you find a cue. And I just, I think that um, it's such a beautiful way, especially for black men to create, uh, you know, a, a whole additional family in addition to their, their given families. Um, and we know that we've heard reports about, you know, hazing and, and issues that fraternal organizations are having. 
But what would you sort of tell black men who were looking to join a fraternity at any age in life, since you didn't sort of follow the traditional kind of younger path of, of college pledging? Well, you know, I presume that if they're doing it as a grad, then, you know, they're grown men who, you know, know what it is that they want to involve themselves in. And, uh, and I would say, look at the local chapter that you're going mm. to join and see what they're doing. You know, there's, there should be <laughs> a very clear record of what they do and what they are, have done uh, and what they continue to, uh, to propagate and, and to, uh, to consistently provide. And if that's the type of organization that you want to belong to, to add your voice to a collective effort or to find brothers who are like-minded that can join in your effort, then by all means do it. Uh, but if mm -hmm. it's, you know, um, but you'll know the nature of it. And if, if you're not trying to do that kind of thing and you find the chapter <laughs> that isn't right. up to much, you could do that too. You're a grown man. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. What's been <laughs> one of the best parts of uh, being in a fraternity uh, since you've pledged in this past, I guess, decade now? Yes. Well, I think uh, it's it's kind of like finding a, a good church, uh, you know, a home church. There's something about the spirit of 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 the brothers, you know, that that uh, that that join in union. Uh, it could be one on one, you know, with a fraternity, but we, but when you're with that person, you have a kind of language, and there's a mm -hmm. there's a, um, a common understanding of reality in a, in a sense, and a common approach to dealing with that. And and I think mm -hmm. that. Uh, uh, it's not uniform, but there are principles on which, you know, we can all agree. And if those are, uh, are of like-minded uh, thinking, <laughs> uh, wish to, you know, join with you, then you have fellows. And I think that that's, that's the beautiful part for me. Fantastic. Oh, well, I'm here with Harry Lennox playing the Blackest Questions. We're going to take a quick commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to see if you can go five for five. <laughs> no pressure. Okay, we're back. We're playing the Blackest Questions. I'm with the Harry Lennox. Um, we're on to question number five. Harry, are you ready? I have, I'm confident. I'm feeling good. I mean, you're killing the game. <laughs> I would say you can you can roll in. You know, you can have a little more bass in the voice. Like, you know what? I'm ready. Like, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay. This singer and musician from Georgia is credited with helping invent soul and R&B music. He's often referred to as the genius. Who was he? I'm gonna, I'm gonna say Isaac Hayes. No, <laughs> it's Ray Charles. Oh, Ray Charles Robinson Sr. was a singer, right. songwriter, pianist, that? and alto saxophonist who lost his eyesight during childhood. His style of music combined jazz, R&B, gospel, and country. He won 17 Grammy Awards and was nominated 37 times and is the only one of a handful of artists to be in both country and rock and roll all things. So, you appeared in the Oscar award-winning film Ray as Joe Adams, the brand know? manager and promoter <laughs> of Ray for more than 40 years. So, what's something about Ray Charles that surprised you in making this film? So, it's, you know, we know that you do meticulous research uh, as you approach uh, your work. Well, uh, I, I forgot about the genius part. I'm so ashamed. Anyway, uh <laughs> It's all up here in the Blackest Questions. 
Trust me, when people have good. turned the tables on me, I'm I'm pretty much 0 for 10. <laughs> that's funny. And I'm the host. No, that's very good, though. The genius. Um, well, I think the the very interesting thing was I, I met Ray Charles a couple times before, you know, uh, before the movie. I met him uh, while a five heartbeat, we had the occasion to, to uh, you know, we ran into Ray Charles, God knows. And I'd been in this company a couple times before, but that said, um, I met Joe Adams, the character that I was going to, that I played in it. And I met him in, in person and we had a long talk and he had a long talk. And I think that uh, that was pretty cool because <laughs> that's a rare thing when you're studying uh, mm-hmm. someone is that the person mm-hmm. is actually alive still. And so that uh, it's, it's almost, you know, it's almost a handicap too because the person's alive and you don't want to sort of portray the whole right. truth <laughs> if you know if you happen to know it and because everybody's whole truth is not as uh, attractive as it might be leave us alone we need to talk Ray you can step outside Joe I'll be in my office But that said, uh, I didn't have any such reservations about playing Joe Adams. He was more, more or less as he was presented in the film, you know, like, you know, like him or hate him. I know uh, <laughs> some people think he's a very antagonistic guy and he's the villain or so, of some, in some sense, but some people are charmed by him. And I, and I found he was very much like that in real life. There are people that was based on interviews with people. Mm-hmm. And, to a large extent on interviews with himself, uh, with Joe Adams himself. So he was uh, an interesting, fascinating, accomplished man. And, uh, and um, it was great to be able not just to, uh, to meet him in real life, but also to see some of the performances. He was an actor. He was a mm-hmm. first coast-to-coast black DJ. You know, so, so these were, uh, uh, he was a Tuskegee Airman, you know. He, yeah, he contributed uh, a great deal to his church. I know he gave them their piano, uh, for example. You're a very interesting man. Um, so, well, maybe what not I the think, nicest guy, but you know, right? Yeah. But I think so many people appreciate about your work is that you actually can show and you do show the levels of people. It's you know they're always multi-dimensional characters. So even their flaws um, and their complications are extrapolated in these very uh, precise ways where I feel like I, we leave your characters sometimes conflicted, right? Especially when you're playing a little more of a sinister character. It's like, well, I mean, I felt it. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, right. I, I, I can see where he's coming from. Um, right. Uh, right. Yes. <laughs> I, I really just, Thank you. I, I'm, I'm so appreciative of the, the attention to detail. Okay, so before we get to the Black Lightning Round, we're going to take a brief break. I'm with Harry Lennox playing the Blackest Questions. Okay, we're back. Before I let you go, Mr. Lennox, do you have time for the Black Lightning Round? Yes, I do. I got to redeem myself. (laughs) Now, this is, there are no right answers. You just tell me the first thing that pops in your mind, okay? Yes. Favorite August Wilson play? Uh... Ma Rainey. Oh, ooh, scandal. If you had to choose, stage, film, or a television role? Film. Okay. Favorite Matrix from the series? 
first matrix. Favorite member of the five heartbeats. Duck, duck <laughs> JT, Eddie, choir boy, or dresser? Eddie King Jr. Okay. Yeah. Which movie is better, original Top Gun or Top Gun Maverick? Original Top Gun. Okay. And last but not least, you've lived in the three biggest cities in the country, Chicago, New York, and Los Angeles. Which is your favorite and why? <laughs> Sweet Home Chicago, because it is home, because it is uh, it's the root for me. It's the, it's the baseline, the foundation. So I have to pick that one. And are you a deep dish person? No, no, I'm not. <laughs> no. That's the, that's the scandal of the whole episode. I hope so. You love Chicago, I, but I no hope, deep dish. That's right. I'm, I'm hoping to stir up some controversy. I didn't say I won't eat it, but uh, <laughs> but uh, I prefer the thin crust. Okay. So before we let you go, tell us a little bit uh, more about some projects you have in the works so our listeners can keep up with you and we can continue to support the great Harry Lennox. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It's been so great being with you, Christina, and and your and your uh, watchers, viewers. My uh, project right now, the thing that's which I hope will be my magnum opus, is that I'm uh, trying to build or in the process of building a performing arts center and museum in Chicago. We call the museum the African American Museum for the Performing Arts, and we call the Performing Arts Center the Lily and Marcy Center for the performing arts. And so we are, uh, you know, we risk really to be the um, the capital of black performance arts culture, where we want to uh, bring a state-of-the-art theater and to archive everything that goes in there. We want to celebrate what has already been accomplished uh, with black people in the performing arts who created really the only indigenous performing arts here in the United States in our music and our dance and so forth. Uh, and we want to be able to have the Citadel, really, the, uh, mm. the capital of that, as I said, uh, right where much of that was born in Chicago on the south side in Bronzeville. So that's what I'm working on. Um, we are underway. We have the properties are, are under control of those two sites, but also eventually going to build a museum uh, that is a living museum, that is mm -hmm. uh, effectively a college or a university where people can major in these performing arts forms. Now that's not on the table yet, but that's uh, that's where I hope it's going, and uh, and uh, I hope it lasts for many decades and generations to come. But we have we have to build it first. But that's that's right. That's, that's but, what we're doing. But yeah. uh, you will build it, and we will come. And you you mentioned <laughs> a name. You said Lillian Mercer. Lillian Marcy Center, and so and, my okay, and uh, my mother's name, name was. My mother's name was Lillian Lennox, and uh, and then Marcella Gilly or Marcy Gilly was the principal of Bass Elementary School, where I was a substitute teacher for for several years, and a woman who was my great mentor. So, it's for mothers and mentors uh, in in the uh, in the city of Chicago, the people who allow culture uh, to thrive, and uh, and we ought to preserve, we ought to capture it, create it, and preserve it. And that's, uh, that's what we're about to do. Well, I can't wait to have you back on The Blackest Question so we can hear more about this. We can talk to you about more of your projects. But uh, all of our listeners, um, just be on the lookout for not just uh, Harry Lennox on your televisions, but obviously in different ways that we can support uh, this new cultural institution that will be a part of our communities, large and small, for years to come. I just want to thank you again, Mr. Lennox, for playing The Blackest Questions with us. You did very well. Thank you. 
<laughs> and I want to thank you all for listening to The Blackest Questions. This show is produced by Sasha Armstrong, Akilah Shedrick, Jeffrey Trudeau, and Regina Griffin is the director of the Podcast Network. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And please download the Grio app to listen and watch many more great shows. Thanks for listening. Coming this February, the Griot Black Podcast Network presents Dear Culture, Truish Black Stories. When you think of sheer artistry, sheer creativity, um, the ability for someone to bring Black people together in the most fundamental ways, it's, you know, I would say, of my four, Randy Watson's my number one. When the news about Ricky first broke, what I heard about it is the thing you hear about you know, every time somebody black dies, that it was gang related. That means the police don't know what happened. So they just said, probably the gangs, probably, you know, the other black dudes. When I think of Akila, you know, um, I think about, I just think about how impressionable white people can be. I think about how, you know, if you watch that movie again, you know, she should have lost like three times. Where were you when you heard the story about them suckers getting served by Wade's dance crew? You know, it's crazy that you mentioned this. So as a New Yorker, right, everyone knows where they were on 9-11, right? You know, a couple years later, right, 2003, everyone hears about this crazy moment in a boxing ring because that's where dancers do get out, right, in boxing rings. If you could say something to Ricky right now, what would you say to him? Ricky, you shouldn't have never got that girl pregnant. You knew I had a crush on you. You should have got with me instead. Moments in Black culture examined like never before. Join us each week as we dive into the black moments that changed us, that changed the world. Make sure to subscribe to Dear Culture so you never miss an episode.